0: We're on a mission from God. Wendy, do So I got that going. Darling. Looks like I picked the wrong weight to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I a human
1: being. I thought they
0: smelled bad on the outside.
2: Welcome to Vintage Video where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
0: I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells.
2: And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Private Benjamin on October 10th, 1980. It was written by Nancy Myers, Charlie Shire, and Harvey Miller, who does not rhyme, directed by Howard Zeef and released by Warner Brothers. Nancy Meyer had already entered a business partnership with Goldie Hawn when she approached Hawn with an outline for the film. Hawn was five months pregnant with Kate Hudson at the time and told Meyers, You write the damn thing and I'll produce it. Goldie Hawn went to Warner Brothers, who she had a deal with, and told them that they could make the movie or she would take it to another studio because she was that confident in the script.
1: Was she intending just to produce it at the time because she was no. pregnant or she wanted to? She, she, she intended to, to star in it the okay. whole time, yeah.
2: They greenlit it, and she was attached as an executive producer. All three credited screenwriters, Nancy Myers, her husband, Charlie Shire, and Harvey Miller, were also given producer credits. Penelope Spheris was offered to direct and turned it down. I have to imagine she regrets that now, but maybe not. At one point, Arthur Hiller was set to direct, but was replaced with Sam Wanamaker, who was in turn replaced with Howard Zeef.
1: I feel like it might have been better if we'd had a woman directing this movie. I
2: think so too, and mm-hmm. Penelope Spheris did like wayne's world and like so she can do like straightforward comedy stuff like it would have been great yeah but at the time she was doing a lot of music documentary type stuff Hmm. and maybe she wasn't ready for just a narrative script unless she had another one that i'm not thinking of dabney coleman was attached briefly though the role was not specified i'm gonna guess colonel thornbush yeah Yeah, that makes sense it it fits him perfectly Mm -hmm. when pj souls auditioned for the film she was required to wear a brunette wig since han did not want a second blonde in the production as a result i barely recognized i didn't
1: you said that Mm -hmm. her name afterwards and i wasn't paying attention to the credits i did not realize she was in there because she looks so different with the dark hair
2: and it's also cut really short where she normally has the blonde hair and the pigtails sticking out of like Mm -hmm. a baseball
1: well and i think that in general her character wasn't her normal personality yeah
2: she's usually very like bubbly and fun and here she's she's uh reminding the teacher that she didn't assign homework to prepare for the film Han actually attended six weeks of boot camp The army obstacle course used in the film was built for the production behind Magic Mountain up in Newhall Ranch. Goldie Hawn was going through a divorce from Bill Hudson, Kate's biological father, during the production. The poster art is a parody of the poster for All Quiet on the Western Front, which I'm sure everyone remembered in 1980. (laughs) The film had a budget of $15 million and ended up grossing $69 million. The film was adapted into a television series that ran for two seasons in which Eileen Brennan reprised her role of Captain Dorian Lewis, Hal Williams reprised Sergeant L.C. Ross, and Demita Joe Freeman came back, but the character's name was for some reason changed from Private Gloria Moe to Private Jackie Sims. The part of Judy Benjamin on the series went to Lorna Patterson, who we had earlier this year as the singing flight attendant Randy in Airplane. Private Benjamin garnered three Oscar nominations for Best Actress for Han, supporting actress for brennan and screenplay and won none of them a remake starring anna Ferris was happening at one point which i think is actually a great fit
1: yeah i could see that
2: i think Ferris is a good match for han
1: well and i could see it having been in the height of like the anna Ferris kind of 90s movies you know sure. sort of I- in line with like a legally blonde type thing
2: and she also recently did an overboard remake though i guess technically she's the kurt russell part in the <laughs> in the overboard remake <laughs> as development dragged on ferris was swapped out for rebel wilson which definitely would have been a departure from the original Mm -hmm. but possibly okay and then that film stalled out and hasn't really been mentioned anywhere for a while
1: yeah i don't really see rebel wilson playing like the i'm i'm too good for all this type character yeah Yeah. she's usually more self-deprecating
2: yeah and i i feel like the it definitely wouldn't happen now after the dirty rotten scoundrels remake like i feel like you just need to give her an original character like Mm -hmm. the fat amy character was great in the pitch perfect movies Mm -hmm. like it needs to be something more along those lines
0: i I, I see her more in the all-female stripes kind of movie that's kind of what this is isn't it yeah
2: we start the film with a title card that reads when judy benjamin was eight years old she confessed all her life's desires to her best friend all i want judy whispered is a big house, nice clothes, two closets, a live-in maid, and a professional man for a husband. Today, all of Judy's dreams come true. We open on the wedding of Judy and her husband, Yale. It's a Jewish wedding, so they do the whole step on a glass, Mazel Tov, chair dance thing. Yale is dancing very aggressively for this whole section. (laughs) Later, during a slow dance, he tells her that he has to step away to look at her Uncle Phil's lease. Apparently, he works in contracts or something. I think he's an attorney, we find out I think, yeah, he's a lawyer. Judy's mother introduces her to an upholsterer named Mr. Waxman.
1: Well, I don't think it's an introduction. Yeah. was a... She seemed to know him. Checking up on their order. Yeah. (laughs) At their wedding. At the wedding, yeah.
2: (laughs) I thought it was like something that she had mentioned and he fixed it as a wedding gift or something like that. Oh,
1: I think it's more like they're... They're, they picked out how they're decorating their house that they're moving into now that they're married, and this is him delivering these okay. things.
2: Seems weird to do that at the wedding. Right? <laughs> uh, Judy says she didn't recognize him without nails in his mouth, and he leads her to a gift. He's just finished reupholstering an ottoman for her, but he tried to trick her and when he couldn't find mushroom piping he replaced it with general beige the moment is played off like judy is picky or superficial or something but really she just seems like a professional who knows what she's talking about (laughs) like she knew exactly what the name of the color was that she wanted and it's not like oh come on that's close enough and it's like no she ordered a thing and he gave her something else yeah uh he also put wheels on it when it was supposed to have upholstered balls on the bottom
1: Right, and that actually just legitimately seems like he's not good at his job. Yeah, like
2: that's a huge difference. At least
1: the other one he's like, yeah, you know, you can't find that color yeah. anywhere. But this is just getting her order wrong.
2: But and I hate to harp on this, it's just the piping. So, you don't need that much like she's like mm-hmm. a couple yards maybe. Uh Yale drags Judy to a limousine parked out front and he tells her he has a very bad headache. She offers him Tylenol and he repeats, "No, it's not a Tylenol headache." implying that he requires a blowjob here in the car does that
1: alleviate headaches
2: i think that's a (laughs) no this is
1: where you tell the audience yes yes absolutely oh god can we stop for a second i just got a
2: migraine (laughs) no um i think especially in like the 80s and 90s this was like a sitcom joke where when the husband wanted to have sex he or just generally have an orgasm in any way he would say oh i have a headache and sex will fix it
1: isn't that the opposite of what the ladies were doing at the times like Mm -hmm. i don't want to have sex i have a headache we were using
2: headaches (laughs) against each other (laughs) this works both ways
1: yes (laughs) but in opposite ways that's so weird
2: she makes it clear that she's not interested but eventually demands a kiss first before moving on to please him a wedding guest waves to them from outside the car Unlikely he saw anything, though. The windows are very tinted, but he's able to make out Yale's face to say hi. Judy's parents sit down with her and Yale, and they tell them how proud they are. Dad hands over an envelope containing a wedding gift, and they seem very excited by it. Do we ever find out what's in this envelope specifically? I
0: think it's just a check. I assume
1: it's cash. They
2: they don't say a number.
1: I imagine it's got to be quite a bit, because Yale seems well off on his own. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: and they're very excited about it.
1: Both are. Not just her.
2: Yeah. Yale says he's going to go take it to show his mom. (laughs) That's how impressed he is. Uh, on their wedding night yale is talking on the phone with a client he's advising him not to contact the wife that he's divorcing he tells him that if they've been married less than 15 years he's going to lose the house but not the boat because a boat is a male item he said (laughs) (laughs) once he wraps the phone call he moves to hit on judy in their recently remodeled bathroom
1: (laughs) is it really considered hitting on when you're married
2: yeah (laughs) <laughs> uh he okay. sneaks up behind her and he's kissing her neck and then he says "Yeah, you
0: know, i don't have a back leg
2: <laughs> <laughs> i don't have a back leg they roll to the floor for sex despite judy's objections to doing it in this room because she would like to move to the bed because she wants to have a romantic wedding night sex and on the floor things are over very quickly and mixed into his orgasm sounds are the sounds of a death rattle because yale has suffered a fatal heart attack here on the floor and uh, we cut immediately to yale's funeral we see goldie hawn in a black veil at a funeral and immediately i'm reminded of the end of death becomes her
0: mm-hmm. when they're at
2: a uh, spoiler alert someone's funeral at the end of that movie later judy is sprawled out across her bed and she has people parading through offering her platitudes of advice one says "Kay sera sera i got it from the song One says, you need to get back into circulation. Yale's mother enters and wants to know what his last words were. And beyond the point of being embarrassed, Judy just tells her, I'm coming. She can hear her parents outside the room planning the next chapter of her life for her. And she stands to open some of the wedding gifts. (laughs) She caresses a Cuisinart in her hands and looks up to
0: heaven to share the gift with Yale. Look what we got! Uh, It's funny, we had that exact model of Cuisinart in my house growing (laughs) up.
1: I can't say that weird it's quasin art
2: you weirdos oh is that a wisconsin thing people say quasin art wrong
1: quasin art not quasin art because
2: Cuis- cuisine. cuisine it's supposed to sound like cuisine
1: it is <laughs> <laughs>
2: cuisine art <laughs>
0: Qu- like spirograph but yeah with... it just throws Qu- wait wait quesin art quesin art
1: art cuisine you say cuisine
0: quizy art Do you say cuisine? I
1: say (laughs) cuisine. No, what do I say? I don't know anymore.
0: (laughs) Dragon. I like to have a lean cuisine.
2: (laughs) Lean cuisine. I didn't realize how much that word rhymed.
0: Feel like the star of your own kitchen with the Cuisinart Elite food processor.
2: She sneaks out of the house to get away from everybody. She rents a room at a motel, and we pan across a pile of room service trash on the way to her speaking on the phone. Someone listens very intently to her problems, and eventually she bursts into tears. I haven't done anything wrong, and I feel like I'm being punished. The man on the phone tells her to wait because their switchboard is lighting up, and we realize that she's calling into a call-in radio show, a staple of the Nancy Myers screenwriting universe. (laughs) A man named Jim calls in to tell her that if she needs guidance, security, good friends, and a healthy dose of self-confidence, he thinks he can provide it
1: yeah so like that did... <laughs> i didn't feel like he was selling something at the time i thought he was being kind of perverted <laughs> yeah
2: just like i am like, what you i need. got
1: this covered.
2: <laughs> she agrees across the board and meets with the man the following day turns out jim is a recruiter for the united states army the recruiter talks her through a brochure with super fancy yachts and tells her that each soldier gets their own yacht at this particular base he offers her a position earning 458 dollars a month and the job of her choice, paying for her food, housing, medical, and a 30-day vacation. He also assures her that with her education and background, she could easily land a position in Europe, which she's like, oh, well, I could use a vacation. Like, it wouldn't be work at all. He also lies to her that if she doesn't like it, she can just quit because it's a job like anything else.
1: Can you do that? Can you just quit?
2: No.
0: No. It's a commitment. Yeah. It's Wait, a, a, a three-year commitment. Three year, three year it's a three-year commitment? Three year commitment?
2: Yeah.
1: And what are they going to do to you if you quit?
2: You get a dishonorable discharge, it makes your life harder. Yeah. Yeah. It's like having bad credit, basically. Judy is sworn into duty and then hops on a bus to Fort Biloxi. In basic training, she's introduced to her drill sergeant, L.C. Ross. He starts roll call, and when he gets to Benjamin, she isn't there. A suck-up private, Winter, steps forward and points to the bus, indicating that she's still sleeping on it. Ross yanks Benjamin up and throws her off the bus, and when she asks for a few more minutes of sleep... He tells her to do push-ups and when he doesn't like her form he just starts yanking her up and down like he grabs a hold of the back of her dress and he's just one, two, three, four!
0: What is this, Hell Week? No, Benjamin. This is the army!
2: Benjamin asks if her fatigues come in any other color and the guy just looks at her like she's an idiot. On the way to the barracks she's asking where the yachts are. The girl in the bunk next to her asks if she's a reporter or something because she doesn't look like one of the troops. Judy explains that there's been a mistake and she's just waiting for the manager to show up because she's a total Karen. <laughs> when the drill sergeant and captain show up for inspection, all the girls line up at the edge of their beds. Captain Lewis marches down the ranks and tears down a Bob Dylan poster in someone's locker. When she gets to Private Winter's bed, she's able to bounce a coin off it and approves of her entire area.
1: Outstanding, Winter. outstanding. Outstanding.
2: Next, Captain Lewis criticizes Private Gianelli for wearing the wrong bra and too much makeup. Ross informs her that Gianelli is a 308, meaning she transferred here in lieu of jail time. While Captain Lewis is addressing the women, Judy sneaks up behind her to tap on her shoulder. She wants to clear up the confusion and get loaded up onto her private yacht. Captain Lewis thinks this is hilarious and actually doesn't bite her head off, just sweetly asks her what all the ridiculous things are that she expects to happen. So i, I kind of yeah. like the way she's treating her here mm-hmm. it's very condescending but it's it's like fake sweet
1: what's what's your name princess huh judy 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 benjamin,
2: judy benjamin. um <clears throat> i think they sent me
1: to the wrong place uh-huh
2: she tries to explain that there's been some confusion and that when she joined the army she was told of condos and private rooms lewis and ross are immediately laughing at her to tell her that it doesn't matter what her recruiter said and his job is just to get her in the building lewis lets private benjamin lecture her on everything that's wrong with the barracks and at the end she asks to see private judy benjamin's toothbrush because well, we one of
1: the things she said was wrong with it was that the bathrooms were filthy
2: yeah she's like oh do you think they're unsanitary and she's like yeah and there's urinals in there it's like yeah because this is for the army it's not just for ladies yeah and uh and then she says well do you have a toothbrush and we cut to private benjamin cleaning the toilets with her toothbrush it's a it's a it's an electric toothbrush so mm-hmm. this would have been very expensive at the time i yeah.
0: think Yeah. i wonder how many batteries she had to go through yeah this is probably the whole bathroom yeah because this Before is probably rechargeable, rechargeable batteries yeah. yeah
1: well and i i remember you know even when i was young like an electric toothbrush was like the height of luxury yeah <laughs> like nobody had those
2: <laughs> in the morning she walks past winter who was supervising the toothbrushing of the bathroom, and she tells her, you can eat off the floor in there. Just as she collapses into her bed, Ross enters the barracks banging on a trash can to wake everybody up. Benjamin doesn't want to get up because she worked the night shift, but he tips her mattress to dump her on the floor. Colonel Thornbush, the post commander, arrives to address Alpha and Bravo companies, men and women troops respectively, headed by Captain Lewis and Woolridge captain lewis is the the women's uh captain and woolridge is the men's captain he tells them how hard basic training will be but assures them that they're up to the challenge we see all the troops on a run and pan across lewis and woolridge chatting in a jeep she tells him her basic strategy for the troops and he interrupts to ask what she's doing friday night she's clearly interested and her response is to reposition herself to face him but she accidentally leans on the horn of the jeep (laughs) (laughs) and we just cut away as that's happening We get a quick montage of Benjamin being terrible at every challenge. During another run, she says that she's going to quit, and her friends remind her that she can't quit and that it will only be three more years of service. But if she thought that, wouldn't she have quit the second that they told her to clean the bathroom with a toothbrush? Like, this character would not have just willingly done that because someone told them to.
0: I, I really like this when because uh, she falls behind while running yeah. and mm-hmm. sergeant ross says come on move it benjamin i don't want to see you stop running unless you collapse faint or puke she kind of like just goes one second
1: i don't think i could make it through basic training
0: oh i definitely I pretty, couldn't
1: i'm pretty sure i would be the one actually just vomiting there like not because i stuck my finger down my throat yeah <laughs> like, I, can't I would be doing anymore. that on the
2: bus <laughs> on the way there why is this bus so much work i'm exhausted <laughs> just sitting here That night her blanket is missing and she finds it on Gianelli's bed and stupidly wakes her up before taking it. (laughs) Just take the blanket back.
1: Uh, I think you took my blanket.
0: This is my blanket. You gave it to me. I don't think I did. Maybe you just forgot. Maybe you got brain damage.
2: Benjamin wants it back and Gianelli invites her to take it back and a fight breaks out. Benjamin quickly loses and then walks out of the barracks to leave we see the tail end of lewis and woolridge's date as they make out on her doorstep ross pulls up to announce the situation and we cut to private benjamin all tied up in the barbed wire over a chain link fence because she just tried to escape
1: i feel like like desertion it'd be worse than you know trying to, to yeah just quit you, you mm-hmm. could
2: you could probably potentially go to jail for this if yeah. she had successfully yeah. escaped
0: luckily <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i like i almost like that it's just they don't even bring it up is just that this is as far as you got yep and it wasn't far enough yeah
2: as punishment benjamin and the rest of the alpha company are made to march in circles in the rain all of her friends are very mad at her and ross dismisses them and brings benjamin in to see her parents evidently she's been gone for eight days now without any kind of notice so they told everyone that she had a mental breakdown and was in the hospital. Which
1: I thought was kind of surprising based on the other films that we've seen this year that anybody would admit that to right. having psychological uh, medical issues.
2: Unless, because the alternative would be not admitting that she's in the army, which they didn't know at the time. Yeah. Admitting that she's dead, I think. Maybe. So they were like, we would be less embarrassed if you went crazy than if you died. Because I think they thought she killed herself.
0: Because we could always say that you died later. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Her father gives her an earful about how he spoiled her, and he thinks that this move is specifically to punish him. I think you hate us. I don't hate you, I love you. Her father tells her that she's too dumb to make her own decisions, and that he's going to decide things for her from now on captain lewis brings in a duffel bag of judy's things and is ecstatic to see her go she tells benjamin's parents how popular judy's been here and such a hard worker and then she hands judy the paperwork to sign and she's like
1: just sign right here on the dotted line you're as good as home young lady right right
2: there (laughs) just keeps stepping (laughs) on it like come on why haven't you signed it yet private benjamin decides in this moment that she's gonna stick it out if she ever wants her own life we get the montage of her doing things right that she did wrong before there's no like
0: transition period yeah there's no
2: like starting to get better at it and getting good it's like nope we cut immediately to her bed immaculately made and then she's like jumping over walls and stuff it's like were you just not trying before i don't understand yeah
1: i mean i think it was that she wasn't trying Mm -hmm. i think also she it was just her being naive and now she's like oh okay i know what it means to to grow up and be responsible for yourself i'll do what all these other people have been doing all along
2: yeah the alpha and bravo companies are divided into red and blue teams for a military exercise ross advises them to take proper precautions in the minefield
0: most of them are inert. however some are earth
2: (laughs) (laughs) winter is made lewis's assistant benjamin and three of her fellow troops get lost in the woods and that night they have a bonfire together which i feel like a bonfire is a bad idea if you're playing a military game and you're trying not to be caught by other people Mm -hmm. they have a conversation about their first times having sex masturbating and whether or not they've ever orgasmed as they pass a joint around the fire not clear where this joint came from either that seems like that would be hard to come by here benjamin shares her story with them how many times have you been married benjamin twice
1: Mm -hmm. first time for six weeks and the second time six hours six
2: hours i feel like the first marriage is completely unnecessary to this whole story and just complicates things because i keep wondering what happened in that way
1: they kind of go over it at in in this in this moment like that she you know made a bad choice and her dad got her out of that marriage fairly quickly and he wasn't a responsible guy so i think it's just reinforcing her the the idea that she doesn't make good choices on her own
2: but I feel like that could have just been the one marriage. Like
1: But I don't think Yale was a bad choice. Well,
2: I he wasn't because that's how they wrote it, but I'm just saying couldn't they have just made it one really shitty guy and she was realizing as she was getting married that it was a bad idea and then
0: he died. But then she would be relieved, I feel. I
2: well, guess. It just it just seems weird to me that she's been married twice and that the the most we ever really covered is just that like, oh I got married and it didn't work out and my dad got me out of it. And it's like does that really add to the character that much
0: i, I agree i agree that it doesn't really add anything because they could have just said that she was in other relationships that didn't work because the father brings up the same thing too the father brings up the when marriage. they're getting the money in that um yeah, well yeah he he mentions to her that didn't i get you out of that relationship right, with yeah. that guy uh so you could just say that it's like didn't yeah. i get you out of that previous relationship
2: and then it'd be like wait you killed yale and then we cut back to that night and he's like fires a tranquilizer through the window and he snaps his neck no cuts his head off stop they're shocked by her story
1: i don't get it what do you do after a thing like that join the army
2: (laughs) still lost the next day they come upon the red jeep and realize they're at the enemy team's headquarters we just spent a whole montage showing benjamin learning the ropes and becoming a better soldier and yet they only complete this exercise because they got lost due to carelessness and lucked upon the enemy stronghold
1: yeah i mean i think that the point though in this is that they don't really care right you no know, they, they they weren't trying to do anything they were just like ah this is probably over let's go home
2: yeah gianelli goes behind a bush to remove her red underwear so they can pose as the red team This is the same scheme utilized in The Dirty Dozen Mm -hmm. during a war game in that film, which also starred Thornbush here, Robert Weber as General Denton. For some reason, they all wear red armbands, even though only one girl actually uses it. She walks up to a guy on the red team and takes him hostage, at which point three of his teammates take her hostage, and then Benjamin and the rest of the squad round everybody else up. They ask for the keys to the jeep, and the guy tosses them into the woods, so Gianelli offers to hotwire it. They sneak up on a tent and find Winter and Woolridge having sex. She says she was captured and to please not tell Lewis what she's doing. Benjamin's. I,
0: I like that she's the one to say, please don't tell Lewis. Yeah. When he should be the one that says, he doesn't please care don't tell Lewis. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. Benjamin stands in the passenger seat with a bullhorn and announces that the blue team has officially surrendered as Gianelli drives the hot jeep. While the rest of the red team line up to follow this jeep, a small squadron from the blue team opens the back of the jeep and captures the rest of the red team i'm not really sure how this game works well i guess if you have a gun and the other people don't have one pointed at you
0: yeah well that's why they also had a referee or a an observer with with them yeah uh with the with like different groups so when they pull out the guns he declares them to be captured okay he he was the only one he had a clipboard and he was just like you know red team captured like he he announced it that 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 it just
2: seems like that's a weird rule for the game because, in reality, if two troops pulled out guns in the back of a jeep, they would just be shot to pieces. I,
0: I, I think of it in terms of, like, flag football. Yeah. Where, I mean, That's a, yeah. it's just like, this is how the game works. It's a
2: technicality for this particular war game. When Ross and Lewis see the red jeep incoming, Lewis phones up Colonel Thornbush to surrender. In the face of overwhelming forces, luckily for her, Thornbush phones down to the red jeep to see if they accept the surrender, at which point Benjamin says, No, sir, because we are also the blue team, sir. But why would he have to check to see if they accept the surrender? Like, what is the alternative here? No! And then we actually start shooting at each other.
1: <laughs> but also, it's weird that she would surrender with the rules that are this game that we it's just like laid out there. There should be a referee there.
2: there to say that you don't have to surrender because you lost.
1: Yeah, you lost because they're here. Like, don't surrender. just Unless surrendering is less detrimental to your record than yeah. than straight out losing yeah. i don't know
2: i do feel like it would have been funny though if thornbush was just like okay i accept your surrender and yeah. then the game was just over because benjamin decided to not radio ahead thornbush lands a small helicopter and he congratulates private benjamin on her successful mission he asks where the blue team commander is at which point woolridge and winter are yanked topless out of the back of the jeep and they scramble around and underneath it to hide their nakedness Thornbush criticizes Lewis's attempt to surrender prematurely. Private Benjamin and her squad of four girls are invited for a ride in Thornbush's helicopter back to the base. On the way, he talks about the Thornbirds, a small faction of specially trained soldiers that he leads personally. Back at the barracks, the girls launch into a dance party and even Sergeant Ross is roped into the celebration until Lewis enters, visibly drunk and furious at the embarrassing show today. As a punishment for their victory, the ladies are asked to scrub the barracks from top to bottom, and on her way out, she trips over things and slurs her words, but announces that she's transferring to a new post, and closes with,
1: Let's not keep in touch, shall we?
2: That night, Benjamin and the girls embark on a covert mission. They spy on Louis, as she packs her bags to leave, and repeats this closing lecture that she gave them in the barracks. I I like how pleased with herself she sounds, and she's like, let's not keep in touch (laughs) she's like tucking her clothes into the bag benjamin climbs into lewis's bathroom window and dumps something into lewis's shower head before backing out they watch as she begins to shower and she's being splashed with blue dye from the shower head so it's like some kind of powder that makes a blue dye i guess when she catches a glimpse of herself in the mirror lewis begins screaming and we cut to the graduation ceremony the following day while Thornbush speaks, Lewis makes her way to the front of the graduates, but her face is completely white from trying to hide the blue with
0: makeup. This whole movie is moving a lot quicker than I expected. Yeah. Uh, had, had you not seen it before? Uh, it, I, I feel like I had, but now I'm thinking that I hadn't, or if I had, I had only seen the first half.
1: That's what I was thinking. I had the exact same thought when I was watching this. I'm like, I know I've seen this movie before i think i've seen it a couple times before and i didn't remember the second half of this movie at mm-hmm. all
2: well for some reason all of these like academy movies are two halves except for like obviously up the academy which we had earlier this year was just all in the academy <laughs> but all, almost all of these movies they do you know the first half is boot camp and the second half is like in action like mm-hmm. deployed or yeah in, in the field or i something. don't remember how police academy does it do they ever are they ever cops in that movie or is it all in the academy um
0: i they all blur together in my head unfortunately because i think in the first one they do get a little action because i think bobcat goldthwait's gang like yeah goes out and starts wreaking some havoc so that one help quash this little mini rebellion
2: yeah but so we have that one and stripes obviously is half and half right full metal jacket is half and half Mm. like all these war movies or academy movies end up splitting duty like that because i guess you want to show these people in a real world situation after you've seen them train for so much
1: i don't think that this movie need needed that though. i don't like, think so either i think you could have actually stretched out like you said have some transition periods in here and have her like learn her lesson and a couple other examples of stuff and then have her come out feeling accomplished and we don't need to see what happens afterwards she's she's just her own self after this you know
2: yeah, i i mean we're gonna get into it here but i do feel like the second half takes away from what i liked about the first half absolutely
1: yeah
0: because there's nothing really military about it. Yeah. Like it, she's not she's not putting her skills to use.
2: Yeah. We cut to a nightclub when the troops are dismissed. Gianelli finds a couple of guys and leaves one with Benjamin at the bar. He starts talking business, but Judy is distracted by another guy that she keeps catching glimpses of. Judy makes her disinterest clear when the businessman tries to slip her cash, insisting this could be a big night for her. Suddenly, Judy is rescued by a friend named Liz. recognizes her and moves in for a hug she's in town visiting her dad who's here for a medical conference and both of her parents are here judy knows them so they see liz's parents at this table across the way and she's sitting at the table with the guy that she keeps seeing she says who's that man
1: he's a french gynecologist he and my father spoke on the lamaze panel
2: together liz's folks are very pleased to see judy and she shakes hands with henry the gynecologist liz compliments the uniform and asks what it's like to be a whack, and she corrects, I'm not a whack. The last time we mentioned WAC was in our review of Catch-22, where Orson Welles' Dreedle character was constantly accompanied by a WAC, who was also his girlfriend. WAC, W-A-C, stands for Women's Army Corps, which was a branch of the U.S. Army converted to active duty status in 1943, but disbanded in 1978 when all the units were integrated with male units shortly before production began on this film. Her friend just assumed that she was still serving in the women's only army force, when in fact she is a member of the U.S. Army. Henry asks Judy to dance while Liz's parents blather on about how long they've known Judy's parents. Henry and Judy get very flirty on the dance floor. She compliments his English and shows off her French a bit. He starts nuzzling her neck as they dance, and she's clearly flustered about it. Outside she apologizes that she can't go home with him, but she barely knows anything about him. He rattles off a few facts. He lives in Paris... His dad was a doctor. He's an only child. He's Jewish. And we cut right from Jewish to them in bed together, and she's orgasming for the first time. That was your first and second. Outside his hotel, they part ways. If you're ever in Paris, if you're ever in Biloxi, the next day, all the ladies line up next to a bulletin board to see what part they got in the school play that is the U.S. (laughs) Army. (laughs) One girl got firefighter. (laughs) One girl got the yachts that we saw in the recruiter's office. And Benjamin is the first female ever assigned to the Thornbirds, and we hear their song. I was a skinny, frightened lad, no more than seventeen. The sorriest
1: excuse for a man that you have ever seen. But now I am a Thornbird and as proud as I can be. Colonel Thornbush made a man out of me.
2: They go through training to jump out of planes. Thornbush pulls up to Benjamin and his Jeep with his wife in the passenger seat, and he introduces them. They're both very excited for the upcoming jump. She tells Thornbush that she appreciates his confidence in her. In the air, at 13,000 feet, Benjamin is last in line to jump and instead has a panic attack. Thornbush tries to calm her down and tells her she doesn't have to jump. She's very grateful until he explains that the toll for not jumping is sex with him here on the plane.
0: See, and I what I thought, or what I was hoping was this was a ploy to scare her off the plane so she would jump.
1: That he wasn't an actual creepo?
0: Yeah, because at this point... They're He's her- been pretty
2: cool so far.
0: Yeah. yeah. And and at this point, I'm like, are there no, like, likable male characters in this at all? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Correct.
2: I don't know. Ross is okay, I guess.
1: Yale yeah, was all right. Yeah. Fish. <laughs> I don't
2: know. Uh, they still made him kind of creepy. And yeah. Yeah,
1: on your wedding night, you de- demanding yeah. Blow me park. right now. <laughs>
2: I'm in my wedding dress. Blow me. Okay. <laughs> she struggles against him and eventually jumps out of the plane to escape rape we cut to benjamin in thornbush's office later that day she really shouldn't be in here alone but right. whatever mm-hmm. he half acidly apologizes for his indiscretions and wonders how long he can keep her as a thornbird hopefully not long sir he tells her that she's being transferred to a desk job in greenland and she nopes the fuck out of that mm-hmm. he brags that he was in the first wave of the rangers at normandy on d-day and that as such he is entitled to sex with whomever he pleases i guess <laughs> Uh, he doesn't want her shooting her mouth off about what he calls innuendo, and she corrects him. Innuendo, try rape.
1: I am act- I was actually super taken back by this, uh, that in 1980, yeah. that they called it for what it was, yeah. mm-hmm. and that she thought she had a leg to stand on, because I'd say nowadays, it's sort of crap happens all the time, yeah. and it's not taken care of. So, I, I mean, I guess maybe they were just more optimistic back then.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I definitely feel like in 1980... It would it would turn into a his word against hers, and her word would mean nothing to them.
1: Right, which is why I, which is why I'm, was a little confused why he was so concerned because yeah. it would just be like, yeah, I didn't do that. But She's it also crazy.
2: it bothers me how this scene plays out if she considers that and a rape attempt.
1: Yeah, that you can that you can bribe me. Yeah, you can't. It's like literally just
2: pay me with a better place to go, and I won't call the police right now and make sure you're taken out of the army and not so you don't do this to somebody else, else later. Right? He offers her a few more stations, reminding her that they have bases all over the world, and then we cut to Paris. She's now stationed at SHAPE, the Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers of Europe. SHAPE is a real place, the headquarters of NATO's Allied Command's operations, and is located in Mons, Belgium, which is a three-hour drive from Paris. She's a purchasing specialist, which is basically just a sexist joke that even though she is in the army with men and went through all the same physical training, even skydiving certification that she's in charge of shopping for the army she says it's the one job that she's trained for her whole life I mean,
1: she's not wrong. She might (laughs) actually be really good at that. No,
2: I'm sure she is, but I still think it's (laughs) insulting that she went through all this army training and they're like, what's your job going to be? It's like the thing that I could have done without going to basic training. Right. Literally just finding bargains. Well, that's
1: part of the dumbness of the army in general, that you could probably get a lot more people in the army to do these jobs if you didn't make everybody do the same dumb basic training.
2: Yeah. Her superior calls her into his office and he tells her that they'll need to make a presentation specifically she'll have to make it because his english isn't so good we're getting our exposition in the form of narration uh benjamin is reading a letter that she has written to private glass uh, one of her compatriots from basic training she says things are great here but we notice uh, as she's saying this that captain lewis is also stationed here and they're just barely missing each other in a hallway she tells glass of her plans to surprise henry at home And hopes he remembers her. He does remember her, and he runs to hug her when he sees her. He takes her back to his ancestral home, and she ends up staying the night. In the morning, he rises early to leave for soccer practice. His dog pees on the floor, and he freaks out about it until Mm -hmm. Judy offers to clean it up for him while he heads out to practice. And just the image of him leaving the house while she's like, leaning over with tissue to clean up a mess that his dog has made is already like oh good we've completely undone the first and second acts of this film
1: right and and he's lost all of his charm
2: yeah because of how he's shouting at this dog unacceptable it
1: is yeah also leaving her leaving your guests to clean up your dog's piss like will you go off and play soccer like yeah. just don't go play what's soccer he supposed that to day? do
2: miss a few minutes of soccer Back at Shape, Benjamin gives her recommendations for chauffeur companies for top military officials, but when she's questioned on the records of the companies, she explains that she doesn't have clearance for that data. The man leading the questioning, who for some reason has his arm in a sling here, uh, (laughs) he asks who's in charge of security, and Captain Lewis stands in the corner and repeats that that data is highly classified, but she's instructed to give it to Benjamin regardless.
0: I'm wondering if that was a character choice I don't know or my
2: assumption is always that the person showed up like that and the director was like fine Mm -hmm. but yeah maybe it is a character choice what was the last time we saw it It as the stripper in uh Melvin and Howard yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) she just had a full cast on when she was (laughs) on the stage after the presentation Lewis confronts Benjamin reminding her to behave herself or Lewis will drum her out of shape it's like you're not you're not my boss here
1: well and she didn't do anything wrong yeah Yeah. somebody else asked her to get a security clearance that's all
2: when lewis steps away from benjamin here she's stepping toward a lady friend named helga who i assume she's romantically involved with because helga seems very concerned with who benjamin is and why you're talking to this girl
1: who's your friend darling she's no friend friend she does,
2: can't help but mimic her
0: girlfriend's like speech impediment.
1: Does it, does it, it happens twice in the movie, and it bothers me. I forget. Yeah. Who did it earlier? Uh,
0: her her superior officer calls her Benjamin. Oh
1: yeah. And she Benjamin. picks up the
0: phone. And she goes, Private Benjamin. Yes. <laughs> and so
1: it, it happens in fairly rapid succession. Yeah. That they that they do that same joke, and I'm like, you just you, you only get it. You only get one.
0: <laughs> Unless you do it a third time, then it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't do the rule of threes. Yeah.
2: Or if the character acknowledges it, like, why do I keep doing that?
1: But, but they were two different characters that yeah did that's it.
2: true yeah back at henry's home judy asks about a painting on his wall apparently it's a nude self-portrait of his ex-girlfriend claire how long ago did you and this painter break up 14 weeks ago monday she asks what ended it and henry just starts complimenting claire part of it sounds totally 80 yard in which i think pertains to changes made in post
1: is a brilliant woman
2: i even joined the communist party for her
1: for a week <laughs>
2: <laughs> like in the middle of it ultimately his complaint is that she wasn't romantic enough and she was much too independent which is <laughs> already like okay bye yeah <laughs> i guess i'm gonna go then
0: uh also because of the awkwardness of that communist party line reading yeah i was like well this is gonna come back yeah some right. kind of way. it's also
2: completely like out of left field and a weird line to squeeze in mm-hmm. but the, the lines she wasn't romantic enough and was much too independent basically just means i got a lot of not tylenol headaches and she wouldn't take care of them we get a montage of judy and henry being lovey-dovey and work is getting very busy for her suddenly we're flipping through a slideshow of photos of them together and it turns out louis has been like spying on her and taking Mm -hmm. photos of their relationship and she wants benjamin to explain louis happens to know that henry or Henri tremont was a registered member of the communist party and she has reported this relationship to benjamin's superiors She's informed that seeing this man romantically is against regulations, and continuing to do so would jeopardize her career. What are you trying to tell me, sir? It's either him or us. We cut back to the Benjamin household in America, where a phone rings... And Judy's getting married. Oh good. She chose Henri Tremont over the career that we just set up that she loves doing.
1: Yeah, this it just this this whole second half of the movie really bothers me because why did we bother with basic training camp establishing that, you know, she is she's is proud, she's capable, she you know, and she's standing up for what's right, you know, like and, and all of this stuff. And then we just totally undo it.
2: Yeah, we thought she was learning something about herself. Right. And it turns out she wasn't learning anything.
1: Like what was the point of the army if you didn't learn about yourself? I mean, I guess maybe we get a turn back at the end, but But I, she
2: can't go back to the army. She can never re-enlist. She quit this job to marry a communist. Yeah. And she can never re-enlist I, in the army.
1: It just the the whole the whole business of like we made all this progress and then we had this fall and then had to come back from it it just it just really bothered me it felt it felt like you just ruined this character that you built up
0: yeah also it it was i was thinking about this throughout the whole movie that she keeps going by benjamin when technically she is married she was married she right or six uh, hours like she she didn't take his name name? yeah
2: is yale his first name or his last name first name name.
0: yeah Yale. all Yale goldman or goodman
2: goodman yeah because he calls her judy goodman when they're dancing
0: i just i just thought it was strange i mean like that the repercussions of him dying was that well you're out of the family or because we're assuming that they were together for a while because she's intimate with his side of the family uh i I don't know like I, i i i was curious about how that whole thing is kind of swept away yeah and doesn't matter that whole family dynamic we're assuming that she probably spent at least a year with this man
2: yeah And that now his family means nothing to her. Yeah. That it's all over. But maybe it is. And maybe she decided that she wanted to go back to her her maiden name because she's not married to this guy anymore. People do that. We see a quick moment of Judy on the phone with the wedding planner as a very attractive and unskilled maid makes a mess around her in the living room. Judy suggests cutting her loose, but Henri thinks that would be silly on the eve of their wedding. Out walking in town, Henri is frozen in his tracks when Claire walks by. Over lunch, she tells him this reaction bothered her, and he assures her that she is the one for him. When this doesn't completely satisfy her, he throws a baby into the mix. I want to have a baby with you. You do?
1: Oh,
2: honey. When she's sufficiently distracted to be excited for the wedding again, he presents her with a prenuptial agreement. I might have saved this for another conversation he tells her that this is strictly to ensure that in the event of a divorce they can remain friends i think in the 80s prenups were exclusively contracts drawn up by evil characters <laughs> but <Yeah>. honestly <laughs> mo- most of what he's saying makes a lot of sense here they did rush into this marriage and a prenup is a reasonable contract and he says surely you can't expect that i would give you half of a house that's been in my family for centuries and i totally understand that mm-hmm. yeah. she, that doesn't make sense To her, this sounds monstrous, but this is also her third marriage, and it shouldn't seem so preposterous to her that this might not work out.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, I understand the the general hurt of the idea of a prenup saying that I don't have faith in our relationship.
2: Right. The biggest red flag here, though, is that she can't even read the contract because it's written in French, which made me think that the twist would be that he's actually poor, and he's like house-sitting or something, and he's after her money. Uh, but they don't play it that way she signs the prenup private benjamin because that's how she identifies herself now even though she's given up on the army completely to marry this guy
0: and i think that would have been a more interesting plot twist later on like uh, this
2: is
1: invalid because you said it wrong
2: (laughs) oh yeah we see judy out doing a bunch of chores for Henri. she speaks with him about how she misses working for shape and being busy with real work Henri is only barely listening to her problems and at one point just points out a redhead behind them, insisting that she dye her hair that specific color because that's what he wants.
1: Yeah, I mean, I this it it just really bothers me too that she's just changing everything about herself to accommodate him and i'm like i don't even think she was that character at the beginning of this movie yeah if
2: yale told her to do that she'd be like no this is
1: the woman who wanted you know specifically you know this one color of piping and mushroom not beige like she knows who she is and what she wants like she might not have been like, capable of supporting herself at the beginning of the movie, but she was confident in herself.
2: But this guy's also a French gynecologist with a mansion.
0: And a maid, so, which is all the things that are on her checkbox yeah. list. Yeah. But
2: like, didn't she also have a maid with Yale? Yeah. Because at the beginning of the movie it says she's getting everything she wants mm-hmm. today.
1: I'm just saying that I feel like we're sliding backwards in terms of
2: who this character who even was. Who she <laughs> even
1: started at the yeah. beginning. Like, this, she wasn't this character to begin with. Like, what
0: happened? Yeah
2: judy's parents and aunt arrive by plane and compliment her hair before shitting on it once she's out of earshot because it looks stupid
0: Uh, also we spend way too much time with them arriving at the airport i was like this scene is just dead in the water it's not going anywhere
2: this could have been one shot this would have made a lot of room for that montage of her getting better at soldiering Mm -hmm. Um, but in addition to her hair being red now they also like frizzed it out like crazy Mm -hmm. so it was the 80s yeah but i think they did it on purpose to make it look ridiculous so that it didn't just look the way it did before but that color because it might have still looked nice yeah but the way they've fixed it up here it definitely looks stupid aunt tells judy that she likes her coat and didn't realize it would be so cold here and we get another taste of mr benjamin being a general asshole her mom says
1: it's november here kissy it's november everywhere genius he's not wrong no
2: but i would just be like she's just saying it's cold it's november like
0: unless she's from the southern hemisphere which in which case it would still be november but it would at least be which which was his
1: point
2: (laughs) when she gets home Henri and the maid are in the kitchen and the maid is washing a dish judy approaches them with a locket that she found in their bed it belongs to the maid gabrielle and she insists that she dropped it cleaning the room Judy will not drop this conversation, and Gabrielle is very suddenly in tears and just runs out of the building. Henri says, you don't respect me like you used to. You're acting totally crazy. Accusing me of sleeping with Gabrielle? You think I'm so low that I'd seduce a child? Do you? She falls for this trap and denies thinking that he's that low. She is sure that everything will be fine after the wedding. The day of the wedding, Henri is missing, and Judy's folks are pissed about it. Soccer is apparently running late the rest of the soccer team finally arrives and they say he wasn't even there today and when he finally does show up she asks where he's been and he admits he's been with claire his ex-girlfriend all morning her boyfriend apparently beat her up and he was there to help she asks what took so long and Henri says that her place was a mess and so he did all of her dishes and she's livid about this so should i stop being nice to people because we're marrying we cut to the wedding and when it comes time for the vows all of Henri's are in french again So she's being left out of the details of the marriage contract in addition to the prenuptial contract. Judy decides this is a mistake. Her mother overhears her breaking up with Henri and immediately decides, Oh, she's crazy again. (laughs) (laughs) She hears the words and just says, Oh, my, my daughter's crazy again. Henri insists that she's having an anxiety attack. As a last-ditch effort to get her to stay, Henri admits that he slept with Gabrielle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, why is (laughs) that going to change
0: my mind, you idiot? But he also says, why don't I go upstairs and get you an injection of something? Yeah.
2: I slept with her one night. We'll fire her after the wedding. It's like, no, we won't. You will. You won't. I was waiting for his next move to be, is this about the hobo I stabbed to death? (laughs) (laughs) He tells her that she's stupid for walking away from everything that he's offering her. She points over his shoulder and says, Henri. What?
1: Where?
2: <laughs> and when he turns around she just punches him in the face he starts to stand up when she winds up another punch and he decides to just stay down she turns to leave and walks down a long driveway away from the house when she's on the phone with the radio earlier she mentions the film an unmarried woman starring jill Clayburgh and alan bates and she says i didn't get that movie Because I would have been Mr. Alan Bates in a heartbeat. But here she's put to the test and like Jill Clayburgh spoiler alert, values her own independence over an uneven partnership with her one-time dream husband. That's the end of our film. Our director here was Howard Zeef. He directed this right on the heels of the main event in 1979. He also comes back later in the 80s directing The Dream Team. Nice. And starts the 90s with both of the My Girl films. Hmm. Writer Nancy Myers. this was her screenwriting debut. Obviously, she has a character credit on the TV series. She also wrote Jumpin' Jack Flash, Baby Boom, Father of the Brides 1 and 2, The Parent Trap remake, Something's Gotta Give, The Holiday, It's Complicated, The Intern. Lots of good stuff. Writer Charles Shire was the husband of Nancy Myers. He wrote The First Smokey and the Bandit and Going South. He shares credits with his wife on Jumpin' Jack Flash, Baby Boom, Father of the Brides, and Parent Trap.
0: I love Jumpin' Jack Flash.
2: Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, the he, Whoopi Goldberg one. yes mm-hmm. uh, he also wrote the jude law led alfie remake third credited writer harvey miller mostly tv credits on the way to this but he later wrote cannonball run 2 he's also an ep on next year's horror title student bodies goldie hahn was judy benjamin she made a name for herself in rowan and martin's laugh in she was in foul play wildcats overboard with longtime partner kurt russell maybe my favorite role from her is in zemeckis's death becomes her i think that's for (laughs) sure my favorite actually
0: yeah uh what about the steve martin house sitter
2: yeah it's a good one it's no death becomes her
0: though no i love death becomes her
2: uh lately she has appeared alongside kurt russell as the mrs claus to his santa in netflix's christmas chronicles films
0: i haven't seen any of those (laughs) i think i
2: watched the first one with the kids eileen brennan played captain doreen lewis She played Genevieve in The Last Picture Show. She's Tess Skeffington in Murder by Death. She's Mrs. Peacock in Clue. Yes. She plays a crazy cat lady in Jeepers Creepers. Uh, Like we said, she reprised this role for the series. In 1982, she was leaving a dinner with Goldie Hawn in Venice, California, when she was struck by a car and very nearly died. Her legs were smashed... All of the bones on the left side of her face were broken, and her left eye socket was shattered.
1: Oh my god.
2: Obviously, she recovered enough to appear in Clue three years later. Wow. So, Clue is after this accident. It was her first film back. I
1: had no idea. That's amazing. Good for her. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It's probably her best film.
2: Yeah. Uh, She has a son named Patrick Brennan, who has made appearances as Spicoli's younger brother in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and more recently as a bartender in Captain Marvel but yeah i love eileen brennan i
0: love eileen brennan and uh another another note of uh for camarillo <laughs> oh is she
1: out here or something
0: did she did die she, here didn't she pass away here <laughs> oh maybe
2: i don't know did we have her earlier this year i feel like she was in was she in little miss marker or am i thinking of the sting is she in the sting she's in the sting she's sure. the one taking the bets
0: i guess she died in burbank never mind oh never mind yes but she is in the sting because she used to live here
2: she lived in camarillo she lived in camarillo i did not know that did she ever come into our blockbuster that you oh, recall? Yeah. Did she?
0: But yeah, I, I remember that she had an account.
2: Armand Desante was Henri Tremont. We had him earlier this year as a pervy camp counselor in Little Darlings.
0: And very little has changed. Yes.
2: <laughs> uh he was John Gotti and Gotti and Rico in Judge Dredd.
0: The <laughs> <laughs> Stallone Judge Dredd,
1: yeah. Yeah. Mr. Love. <laughs> love that movie. Nobody else loves that movie.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, Robert Weber played Colonel Clay Thornbush. We said earlier he was General Denton in The Dirty Dozen. He's also juror number 12 from The Twelve Angry Men, our fourth juror. After juror number two, John Fiedler, was Mr. Thorpe in Midnight Madness. Juror number seven, Jack Warden was in Used Cars. Juror number 11, George Voskovec, who we just had as Dr. Gerald Finney, the time-traveling philosopher in Somewhere in Time. Uh, so that's four we've we, we've had a third of the jury so far this year there's a couple that are dead already so we won't be having them and he's also sapinsley in bring me the head of alfredo garcia which is a fun title for a movie that i think they wrote the title first <laughs> sam wanamaker played teddy benjamin as we mentioned earlier he was briefly attached to direct the film and then wound up playing judy's father in it he plays david warfield in superman 4 And we'll see him later this year as Andrew Erskine in the competition. Barbara Barry played Harriet Benjamin, Judy's mother. She was Evelyn Stoller in Breaking Away, the mother of the Dennis Christopher character. We'll have Christopher very soon as Eric Binford in Fade to Black. She reprised the role for the Breaking Away television show. Dennis Christopher did not come back. She also played Alchemini's voice in the Disney Hercules. And she plays Nana on Suddenly Susan, which is what I recognized her from the most. I was like, <laughs> I know this face. I've seen this woman before. And then when I looked it up, that was finally the thing. It was yeah. Suddenly Susan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mary Kay Place was Private Mary Lou Glass. She was Meg in The Big Chill. She's Floris in Being John Malkovich. Uncredited as Mrs. Crandall, Ethan Hawke's mom in Explorers.
0: Oh. Yeah, okay. Now I see it.
2: <laughs> and she's also Maria Bamford's mom marilyn bamford on lady dynamite which is a netflix series that i recommend people go check out because it's super funny harry dean stanton was sergeant jim ballard earlier in 1980 he was philo skinner in black marble a film that we could not locate in time to review this year but we'll catch it for its 41st anniversary next year. did you actually find it i did okay i'm just gonna have to watch the movie with russian dubbing over the english track
1: (laughs) somebody's got to have a laser disc they can send us <laughs> there's, right <laughs> there's not
2: a home video release of it oh, there, there was not? so that's the one that i think was it Keanu lorber or shout was supposed to have a blu-ray soon right and they keep pushing back the release date right so i'm waiting on it but haven't had any luck I,
0: I did see it on one of the marquees in fade to black yeah <laughs> there's yep. a
1: lot of <laughs> yeah, stuff coming there. up on that one
2: uh harry dean stanton is also brett in alien he's brain in escape from new york he's bud in repo man he's jack in pretty and pink which i think is molly ringwald's father right
1: uh yeah harry dean stanton's her dad
2: uh and he's a security guard in the avengers movie yeah it's the only movie that we share a credit in because <laughs> i have a credit as a rotoscope artist for that film albert brooks was yale goodman he plays tom in taxi driver he was david howard in lost in america he's marlin in finding nemo and finding dory and he's the voice of Hank Scorpio on The <laughs> Simpsons. That's probably one of my favorite roles from him. That whole yeah. Hammock District conversation. <laughs> it's wonderful. Alan Oppenheimer played the rabbi. He invented nuclear weaponry. <laughs> no, that's a different guy. Uh, weirdly, he took over the role of Judy's father on the Private Benjamin series. He's the chief supervisor in Westworld, the movie. Uh, he plays Albert Breslow in The Hindenburg. He plays various characters on Rescue Rangers, DuckTales, Tailspin. He does lots of voices for animated series, including Ming the Merciless for the Flash Gordon TV series, Warpath on Transformers, and Prime Evil on Ghostbusters. Also, Skeletor in several iterations of He-Man. He was just recently the voice of Old Timer, the Clock in Toy Story 4. And he's also the voice of Gamork, the Rockbiter, and Falkor in nice. the English version of NeverEnding Story. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so excited lee wallace played mr waxman he was nate goldfarb in clute he's dr strauss in the hot rock he's henry knowlton in the first happy hooker he also plays mayors in daniel the taking of pelham 123 and batman he's the mayor in all three of those movies maxine stewart was aunt betty we just had her as detective sam Klinger in the insufferable coast to coast <laughs> Tony Kalem played Private Tina Gianelli. She's Elaine Harriman, the pregnant woman in MacGyver episode Birthday.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, She's also Angie Bonpensiero on The Sopranos. PJ Souls was Private Wanda Winter. She's Norma in Carrie. She's Linda in Halloween. Stella in Stripes. Riff Randall in Rock and Roll High School. This is the earliest film I've seen from her where she doesn't have blonde pigtails and a baseball cap. We met her at a Carrie screening at the New Beverly. She was very, very sweet.
1: And like as adorable as ever yes i mean this was 10 12 years ago (laughs) yeah it was a while ago (laughs) but still like so cute
2: yeah uh weirdly another private in this film is named pj sawyer which is basically her name Mm -hmm. they just changed two letters they changed an l to a y and an s to an r uh craig t nelson was captain william woodridge he's steve freeling in poltergeist he's mr incredible in those movies he was coach on coach with a series theme song written by our previous film elephant man's composer john morris we also had nelson earlier this year as a cop on the stand in where the buffalo roam (laughs) he was like i I thought there may have been a small bomb in cigarette case (laughs) a
1: furtive movement
2: (laughs) (laughs) uh he'll be back later this year for stir crazy and the formula
1: i want that formula
2: danny wells played slick guy I think that's the guy that Gianelli is with in the bar when she leaves the businessman with Benjamin.
0: I think I think that's the guy who comes up as soon as they enter the bar. The guy goes, "Hey, ladies," and they go, "We're not interested." And it's like, "All right," and he oh, walks okay. away. I think that's who the. Okay, then is. that's who it is.
2: Uh, he played Dick Jennings in Magnolia, and he also played Luigi opposite Captain Lou Albano yeah. on the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. That's wonderful. <laughs> and he did the voice of Luigi, obviously, on the show because right, they both right, right. did their voices. Keon Young played Kim Osaka that's the guy who the businessman that was hitting on, at the, on the bar private benjamin yeah. uh this is a very early film appearance for young he has two characters on macgyver in children of light <laughs> and the stringer he's also baba ram in surf ninjas daryl tanaka in my girl 2 from the same director he's mr lee in dude where's my car and mr Wu on deadwood which is probably the thing i remember him from the most oh yeah
1: you know when i saw him at the bar i knew he looked familiar yeah. but and it's to- he's totally mr Wu. yeah
2: And lately, he's the voice of Commander Sato on Star Wars Rebels. And also, he did a few voices on Archer's Danger Island season. Richard Hurd played General Foley. We discussed him earlier this year and his uncanny resemblance to Carl Malden in our Patreon-exclusive review of 1970's Hercules in New York. He's the one wearing the sling right now, talking to uh, Private Benjamin during her meeting. And we'll see him again right away in our next review of Schizoid. He's also James McCord Jr., and All the President's Men, Walt in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Evan McCormick in The China Syndrome, and more recently as Mr. Roman Armitage, founder of the Order of the Coagula in Get Out.
0: Yeah. Behold.
2: The Coagula. Lillian Chauvin played Miss Tremont, or Mrs. Tremont, that's Henri's mother, uh, who tells them, oh, don't worry, he'll be here any moment now at the wedding. She plays Irene Edwards in Predator Two. She's Mother Superior in Silent Night, Deadly Night.
0: I wanted to mention the composer uh, Bill Conti, uh, just oh, okay. because uh, he's a very prolific. Uh, and I don't really recall the music for this movie, like being like, you know, like, oh my goodness, the yeah, score. Yeah, memorable. Um, but sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes if it blends in with the movie so well, does it blend? Does it blend? Uh, but he did like uh, the the themes for for Rocky, he did uh Baby Boom the other yeah was another... from the same director. Yeah. Uh things like Lean on Me, I'm trying to th- find some more recent credits
2: or not not uh director, writer, uh, composer. Yeah, but I I meant I meant uh Oh, the, for Baby Boom? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Th- it was the screenwriters of this film yeah. did Baby Boom.
0: Uh, yeah, it looks like he did all the Rockies including Rocky Balboa uh in uh 2006. It's not a it's not like a reuse of the score? It doesn't say, like, original, but maybe. Here's some fun ones, though. Spy Hard, Wrongfully Accused, Rookie of the Year. Yeah, so, like, he just does a lot of random stuff. Interesting.
1: He did a lot of Academy Awards music director.
2: Oh, okay, cool. So he probably worked with Gilbert Cates a lot. The director we've had twice this year, who directed a lot of, yeah, well,
1: he, yeah, awards. he's got a pile of them on his IMDb.
0: Also, while watching this, every time they said the Thornbirds, did you guys think of the like mini series that was on in the eighties? I don't.
2: I'm not familiar with this. Nope. Oh, what's the Thornbirds? <laughs>
0: um, it was a uh, like 1920s Australian uh, mini series. Like, like it wasn't. I think it was like taking place in Australia, but it had like Richard Chamberlain uh, and. Uh, I, I always remember it mostly just from Blockbuster. Yeah. Because like there was like the Thornbirds volume one, two, three, four, like it was all in a row. At our store?
2: Yeah. I don't remember those. I yeah, feel like there's no cover box I wouldn't recognize there. I guess. Yeah, I, I remember it, it. It doesn't sound familiar to me.
0: <laughs> that was it. That was a, I <laughs> believe that you were like here's here's the cover. Like if you, you don't remember that. Oh yes. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's a very it's a very remem- memorable cover.
2: Yeah, the font, yeah. Um this movie like i think we all agree is pretty fun in the first half and then in the second half it kind of forgets what it's about and it's trying to be a more traditional movie and it doesn't need to do that
1: yeah i i didn't need we didn't need to introduce another guy and
2: i I feel like if the point was going to be that she would know herself better and know what she didn't want for herself that she shouldn't have gotten as far as the wedding to make that decision it should have happened earlier
1: yeah, I agree with that. I don't know. I think if if we needed to bring her out of basic training and bring her into the real world, I think that the lessons that she had learned about being like independent and self-sufficient and capable of making her own decisions and stuff like that should have come out in her career yeah. and not mm-hmm. in her love life.
0: And and I really don't like that there's no follow-through with the arc with uh, Eileen Brennan's character. Like, yeah. in Stripes with Sergeant Hulka almost the same type of character through and through like is angry. And even in the end is like, like when they get to Italy, he's like still laying pretty hard on them. But in the end they have a respect and understanding on both sides. Mm -hmm. And while I don't really need that, I don't need them to have a, a, have a respect or understanding, but I do need some kind of follow through with her destroying her career and getting away with it. Yeah. Yeah. But
2: destroying it irreparably. Yeah. It's the saddest part of this because she's not private Benjamin at the end of the movie.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, you know, she Private Benjamin's making the wrong choice here. She's she's choosing a guy who's, you know, not but letting her be independent.
2: That's why in my notes, I, I keep switching back and forth. Whenever I, she's dealing with Henri, I'm calling her Judy, and whenever she's dealing with what she wants to be doing i'm calling her private benjamin i feel like private benjamin isn't making the mistakes judy is making the mistakes
1: sure i get what you're saying i'm i'm just saying that you're accusing this woman who is uh in charge of security following protocols and and making her choose uh, between being at the state department or whatever this place is and you know the guy that she's with and i don't know that she's wrong because that was the protocol and and so i i don't blame her for this but i I do blame judy for making the wrong decision
2: well yeah because I, I think that what have, would have been a better ending is her turning down the relationship for the job
1: yeah and realizing earlier in their relationship not on their wedding date that he was he was changing her
2: yeah and being yeah less blinded to what he was doing to her but i also feel like as soon as i said it that it shouldn't have gotten as far as the wedding i feel like obviously for you have to you know bring everything up to the most extreme possible ending Mm -hmm. and for a relationship the most extreme possible thing is the wedding Mm -hmm. where this all like where the climax happens but i feel like you could have gone the other way with it and had her stay at the job and then it becomes like like oh he is a spy and there's a whole subplot there about like, some, like literally bringing it to the point of he's almost going to kill someone that she works with or something like that, that she's shutting it down there. Instead of doing like leaving the whole last 45 minutes of the movie in a in a relationship story that has nothing to do with the army anymore and having it be about – it's almost like he's getting revenge on her, but he's also following through with some mission that he has. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that he's using her and manipulating her. Yeah. And then she – but she because she's learned to be – smart and independent she figures it out
2: yeah or even if it had been what i thought before where he was house sitting there that wasn't his house Mm -hmm. and he tricked her into marrying him in six months before his friend got home so that she would already have signed this prenup that says that he's entitled to half of everything that she couldn't read the contract and then he gets half of her parents money because he knows they're loaded yeah uh
0: going back to the plot of if he's a potential spy and she gets like embarrassed about this whole thing that he was, she was being used. Another great moment for Eileen Brennan is to, to have a moment where, Oh, you know, where like private Benjamin could be feeling sorry sorry for herself. Cause she was embarrassed. It's like, well, you know, I was embarrassed, but I got through it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can get through it. Like yeah, have a in, moment in of reference connection. to Ridge and, and, compa- yeah. and compassion yeah. and like
1: to, to have her break through that you know what what could have been this hard exterior that she had the entire time and, and anger and stuff and just have mm-hmm. a moment of compassion just be like i know what you're going through
2: yeah because they they drop that character so abruptly mm-hmm. with her quitting the job and it's like really we're not going to come back to brennan like that's the end of her arc yep is that she was here and did the same thing again and was a jerk and everybody in the military, like she won basically in her yeah. in her story, everything she wanted to happen. She tricked mm-hmm. Judy into quitting the military, and that was the end of the story. On the TV show, they're best friends, like she they they come to love each other and yeah. and they're friends throughout the series. Although you know, with a TV show, you can't have the people hate each other that much for <laughs> an extended period of time. It only ran for two seasons, but you know who would write this movie really well is Susanna Susanna Fogel should rewrite this movie
1: I would love a remake from Susanna
2: because it um just thinking of where the story could have gone reminds me of the end of the spy who dumped me yeah where she thinks that it's a relationship and it's not yeah it's espionage mm-hmm. and she's being made a tool by this person
1: yeah I mean I think that if you can it, this movie needed a a clear understanding from beginning to end of this is this is who. She is at the beginning. Yeah. This is how she she learned to become who she is at the end. And instead it's like this kind of weird roller coaster of and wishy washy about it. And and I just like I, I want it to be a story of her realizing her worth and her abilities. And we don't we don't really I don't know I don't feel like we get a great resolution about that at the end even when she does leave the guy so it's just like it's not super satisfying.
2: Well you know what's weird now just thinking about it is that Nancy Myers got an Oscar nomination for this script this was her first produced screenplay and I feel like I love so much of her work and is the only thing that ever got nominated from her. Oh, that's a and shame. that seems crazy because yeah. I think she got like,
1: better over time. Oh, absolutely!
2: <laughs> um, and even like as recently as the Intern, we watched that and I we loved that the movie. Intern. It was great. I thought was that good. was great, and I um, thought
1: that that she did what this movie isn't doing. Yeah, with and I that. think
2: I think uh, <laughs> the Holiday it's complicated. Something's got to give. All these movies had really like well-rounded characters that everybody got complete arcs. Mm-hmm. Nothing felt like it was left out. Um, it's crazy the way that awards work in this country. <laughs> where
0: I, I, I feel like this was a case of. They were watching like the first half of the movie and go, yeah, well, I get it, and it's all I'm. They yeah, they didn't watch list. the whole screen. Yeah, it's like it's like this. This movie is really great. Yeah, Eileen Brennan, uh, Goldie Hawn nominations. And you mean like what you
2: and Jesse did the first time you watched this movie? <laughs> yeah,
0: <Never laughs> you watched turned, the end. You're like,
2: Maybe, oh, that was a happy story about a. Here.
1: Maybe the, this end wasn't on there. when yeah, yeah, the credits just roll over the continue. Eiffel Tower. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm gonna go be with Henri and work in the military. The and end. this
0: was a wonderful 35 minute movie.
2: Anyway um yeah um what do we think uh up or down on this one jess
1: um overall i'm gonna give it an up i, I think actually think so too. i i love i love the actors in this movie i love all of them they're all great yeah um i i, I mean we complained a lot about the the, the arcs and the story and the and the character development but um overall it's an enjoyable watch
2: yeah it has really solid laughs in it too mm-hmm. i agree the whole cast is great i i think it actually would have been better with dabney as uh thornbush but you know dabney coleman is like michael keaton he could make every movie better by appearing in it richard what do you think up or down
0: oh boy um i'm going to give it an up but i feel like it's a little bit reluctant
2: i think a reluctant up is the exact right response. Um,
0: like (laughs) i i did enjoy it uh overall like I, if, if i had to give it like an average like because the, the first half is so high and the second half is not is like a tapering down <laughs> but if you found where they met in the middle it would still be this is pretty good it's a good c plus yeah. here. <laughs> uh so uh yeah it's an up all right
2: jess do we know where this is going Letterboxed.
1: yes uh, so, I'm going to put it below The Man with Bogart's Face, but above Nijinsky which puts it at 57th place.
0: Cool. I'm still, uh, hold on, I'm still kind of moving this Working around. It out. I have this weird, like, other gap in my list where. <laughs>
2: there's just, a, like, an okay movie and a fucking horrible movie right well, next well, to each
0: other. Well, it, it, there's, there's, like, a, a sudden drop yeah <laughs> like it, it, in the late it's 30s, like when you're walking on the beach
2: and you're just like oh
0: jesus yeah yeah totally it, undertow. It, um and and that that movie for me that's the sudden drop is night of the juggler because i really didn't like Night of the Juggler. i don't know why but 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 from there like the movies are all like of of similar like, 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 like sit
2: down and watch that right now yeah. night of the juggler <laughs> nope
0: <laughs> it's like okay I, I thought i really didn't like it but it's in line with a whole bunch of movies of like yeah it was all right um so i'm putting it just before night of the juggler <laughs> all right uh so it's going to be below resurrection uh and above night of the juggler at number 39
1: why do you have resurrection so high because it was so crazy
0: <laughs> i i was like i've never seen this movie and this was not the movie i thought this was going to be
2: you know if i turned it off right after the opening title sequences my resurrection would be right up there because <laughs> those were pretty crazy but no it doesn't go there uh, for me, private Benjamin is going in number 34, which is directly beneath used cars. So I got Kurt Russell and Cole Hahn next to each other and right above Die Laughing. I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at Vintage Video Podcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash Vintage Video Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Schizoid, which IMDB describes like so an advice columnist, begins receiving threatening notes from an anonymous stalker. Meanwhile, members of her group therapy session are being murdered by an unknown assailant. This sounds like a remake of both Don't Answer the Phone and
1: Phobia? No.
2: Phobia. That was the other one. I couldn't think (laughs) of it. (laughs) We leave you now with the trailer for, what it? Schizoid. <laughs> Sick with revenge, twisted with hate.
0: Hello, hello.